Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Skyping's Welcome to another episode of Small Doses. You know, these are times where I feel like people are definitely waking up there, becoming more informed. Um, and this is a beautiful thing. I call it an eruption of consciousness. I think what's happening though, and this is something that I've, I've, I've witnessed, is that in the pursuit of wokeness, some people are leaving behind like the intellectualism that uh, can actually affirm that wokeness into action, right? Like it becomes at a certain point just virtue signaling and a lot of rah rah. And we, I feel, have to be cognizant in making sure that we are applying our smarts and our knowledge in how we um, take a look at what we're learning. And in doing so, one of those aspects is intersectionality and the way in which intersectionality exists within the action of your wokeness. And so today uh, we have the homie, uh, Chris Emden, who will be joining us. And, you know, when I met Chris, we were on a panel for... um, for a Queens Library event on mental health. And, you know, Chris's energy is like on 9,000 at all times. And he is official New York in many ways. And we were like, you know, we gotta, we like, like they literally had to tell us like, okay, we gotta wrap it up. We gotta wrap it up. We gotta wrap it up. And I'm really glad that we get the opportunity to continue and uh, even strengthen our conversation and our and the intersecting of our intellectualism today. So please. Fuck that talk. Welcome. What's good? What's good? I'm so hyped to be here with you. Professor of Science and Education at Teachers College, Columbia University, uh, writer, thinker, Mr. Chris Emden. I'll give my, I'll give my own applause. You know what I mean? What's good, Amanda? Like, I- I'm so hyped to be here with you. And it's so funny, when you mentioned when we came together, when we met at that Queens joint, we were supposed to be talking about health and we ended up talking about a, a bevy of issues because the way you exist in the world is very aligned to how I do, which is like, yo, we, go, we just want to have gumbo. We're going to take whatever yeah. is at our disposal, bring it together, cook it up, add some seasoning and create flavor. And I think that's the beauty of this sort of contemporary iteration of intersectionality is that it's, it's sitting in the midst of worlds that are supposed to be separate, that you force yourself to collide and sit in and with, and then create magic out of that. And, and we are collectively like in the world, in this beautiful place, we're like, cats are really bringing worlds together and, um, and it's magic. It is. I mean, I feel like, you know, when we, when we broach the topic of intersectionality, you know, the first thing that we're going to have to do is define what that is. But before we even do that, you know, I did give your credit, Professor of Science and Education at Teachers College, but I would love to just get even a quick backdrop of how you headed out on that path to be an educator. Because to choose to be an educator and then to choose to educate educators, you know, that is a specific space that requires a certain kind of energy and um and passion and so i would love to know like how did you end up in this place you know i i've always been a teacher like from as long as i can remember i, I never wanted to pursue being a teacher as like like you know my life's work but i was always that kid who was like nah yo the teacher got it wrong let me explain it to you this way um you know i was that kid like I would listen to rhymes. I'd be like, yo, y'all ain't even hear the internal <laughs> wordplay and rhyme schemes though. Yo, let's put the bars up on this piece of paper and really talk about the patterns and what Nas said. So I've always been an explainer. You know what I mean? Like my whole entire existence has been about explaining. And so I went to school, um, you know, high school, Brooklyn Tech, shout out to Brooklyn Tech. And then I went to I you know, um, undergrad. Went to Brooklyn freaking Tech. Gee. Well, well, everybody dope went to Brooklyn Wait, Tech. Wait, what year did you why. graduate? What, grade, what year did you graduate Brooklyn Tech? 94, 95, I'll say both years because, you know, okay. I couldn't officially walk the stage in 94 because there's some shenanigans going on um, 
with a you know with there's you know with some low lives and some decepts and some bangs popping. But you know, I I graduated <laughs> though. <laughs> but, but but here's the thing: when you said that, it's interesting. When you said like everybody went to Brooklyn Tech, Brooklyn Tech was this dope school because it was these kids who were like they passed this test and they got into the specialized school, but they were like New York kids, and a lot of them were from the hood. And, and then there were a lot of Caribbean immigrants. And that school had a lot of like varying cultures from different spaces. So it, it was a, a melting pot. And so folks that come out of Brooklyn Tech, they graduate with a certain sensibility about hoodness, about intelligence, yeah. about technology, about art. Um, and, and so that's what makes Brooklyn Tech graduates so special. But um, back to the story. So I went to undergrad. Undergrad, I started doing really well in science. And then I started working in science and I was like, this is corny as hell. Like, like doing science is literally a bench science is just sitting, not talking to anybody, doing science shit all day. Like I like science, but I didn't <laughs> like doing the work of science. Um, and so somebody said, yo, try teaching. And as a science educator, I got to really like geek out because I love the art and beauty of science and then explain shit to people like I've mm. always done my entire life and um, became a science teacher, then started teaching science teachers. And then started building my multiple worlds that I love together to construct who I am today. So I'm equal parts a scientist, an educator, a health advocate, a counselor, a therapist, hip-hop aficionado. And my, my professional work is at the intersection of all these multiple worlds. That's super dope. I mean, I love when I hear people who have curated, you know, their space out of all of the things, you know, like you built a nest of all of the different items that mean something to you and that make you feel like home. And I feel like that's something that I've had to work like my whole life to do. And I really try and encourage students whenever I speak at schools, like to curate their education and consider it in that way. And I think when we talk about intersectionality, it's a great segue because we live in a world that makes a lot of effort to keep things in separate boxes. Um, there's just a lot of effort to like, not let things, uh, bleed over into other things, you know, to not let things touch. But the, the effort is to me futile because the reality is, is that things are going to affect other things. And they're going, I mean, even if we look at our bodies, it's like, you know, you may think, oh, well, um, my arm is hurting my, my, you know, my arm is hurting. Why, what does the arm have hurting have to do with my heart? And it's like, well, because the, the blood pumping from your heart to your arm and it, you know, the, the, the artery, et cetera. And it's like, everything is connected. So like, it's why, oh, you're the scientist. You're like, okay. No, I'm like, I'm like, yo, oh, that's all. That was all. I was like, fuck your science shit, Amanda. You know, like, I, I love it. I love it. I'm here for it. Like, I'm smiling because you're talking science shit the way that I want folks to talk science. This, this, but be, you know, let me tell you why this is beautiful to me, right? And, and this is why, man, you vibe. Like, I think it's, so intersectionality, right? Like academic definition, like, you know, the, the coming together of varying social categorizations, and, you know, and like that concept. I think that we have to think about this idea of like social categorizations are, are their constructs that some people made up. There's no truth to it. There's no hard and fast, like that's the way it is. And the beauty of you and the beauty of this conversation and the beauty of like Rashademic, Chapter Rashademic, book coming out soon, cop that. The beauty of all of it is that we are unraveling these things that people told us could not happen. And I've always said the people who believe in the separateness of identities were always the folks who could not exist in intersections. Like folks, folks who can't do it are always like, yo, don't do that. Yes. Like, don't bring all that together. And the reason why is because you know, they're forcing you to be simplistic like them. Like if I was just a professor and did this, then, then I have to compete with other just professors. And they've perfected the art of being simplistic. So they're forcing me to be simple like them so they could be better at simple shit than me. Yeah, it's but a control factor too. Talk, talk. I and definitely it's like, believe oh. it's a control factor too because it's like, it's easier to pin down to pin you down if you're in one box. Like I remember someone that a lot that everybody listening knows, but I'm not going to put her on blast, but I remember her asking me, um, why are you like, like, why do you do comedy? And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, you know, like stand up, like, like, why, 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 why don't you just do the acting stuff? Why are you doing stand up too? And I was just like, because I can, <laughs> uh, because it brings me joy. And because, mm -hmm. you know, that's where my tribe is, uh, you know, in, in comedy, that's, that's where my tribe is. And she was like, so you're like 
happy. And I mean, there was such a confusion about it that it made me for a second confused if I was happy. And I was like, yeah, she was like, huh. It just seems like those things kind of don't align. And I was like, I mean, we have seen numerous examples of comedians who act and actors who then become comics and and then comedic actors, et cetera, right? But even just those two things, like merging, seemed like kind of disparate to this person. And I think it because it made them feel less about the thing that they had committed to. And that's the that's when you're talking about the the um the wanting to, to you to remain simple. I think people feel like if you can do multiple things, then you're right. Then they they can't compete with you. And it's like, I, but baby, I'm not even competing with you. Right, right. And that's that that you know it's it's a projection of inadequacy that has become the current currency. Like you know, if if I feel inadequate in what I do, and I feel like I can only do one thing. It is easy for me to project my inadequacy on you so that I will force you to start judging yourself through the lens of what I think of you, right? It's, it's this weird projection. I just about this. Yeah, it's this but weird But I think that that thing. also applies. And when we talk about intersectionality, I think for, for the most part, when we talk about intersectionality, because we're, kind of, we're kind of like wading in multi-hyphenism, right? But in the context of intersectionality, as it relates to social activism, as it relates to wokeness, et cetera, it's this concept and understanding that, you know, there's kind of a butterfly, of, there's there's like a butterfly effect about um, social justice, about uh, about inequity, about dis, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Oppression, et cetera. So this idea that like this one group over here is being oppressed um, and thus we need to just focus on this little group in this little way and this thing, it is so reductive. And it completely undermines the ability to truly have action because it's like, it's like treating some, let's take it back to science. It's like treating someone who may have a like weight issue and thinking that all you have to talk about is diet. Right. And it's like, well, no, I mean, there could be a thyroid problem here. You know, there could be a psychosomatic issue here. There could be, uh, uh, and and on top of that, it's like, no, it's not just diet. It's exercise. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, self-love. It's environment. It's, you know, and, and in multiple ways. And so like, even when we talk about like, you know, the recidivism rates and, 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 yes. ju- and, and the prison industrial crisis, it's not simply just like, we got to get criminals off the street. It's like, well, why are they on the street? Right. 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 And if you're solving, if you're, if you're looking at an issue and only looking at the symptoms, mm-hmm. right, it, what it does is it allows the mechanism that allows the disease to be put forth to be off the hook. Right. And, and, and this is why like intersectionality is sort of like the academic definition of it. Right. Like the intersections of race, class and gender in particular are so important. And which is why a conversation we were having just a little while ago was so important to have about folks who will identify the problematic practice of policing and its impact on black men, for example. And then in the same breath, be like, but you know, Bill Cosby wasn't really well. Like, like it's like, yo fam, how in your brain, like I can't, how in your brain do you tease out these phenomena? And I, and I think it's, you know, when we talk about intersectionality, I don't want folks to get the misperception that we're being reductionist and applying it to just like all our aesthetic leanings and things that we like. It's a recognition that those seemingly superficial things, like how we dress, how we talk, how we vibe, the science and education, it's also a microcosm or an exemplar of the race, class, gender intersections as well. Like we can't think about intersectionality only as an academic construct. It's like a lived experience, right? Mm-hmm. And and so and and so the, my, my critique of folks is like, yo, you can't tell me to 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 like to cap for black man being assaulted by police and not look at the ways that sisters are being oppressed by police or like not. And, and intersectionality allows us to not just sit at one spot and, and not recognize that we're all interconnected, right? Mind, spirit, body, soul, you know, like, like aesthetic and, 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 and psychosomatic, like it's all a, a constellation of rich and beautiful things that make us who we are. And the more we start pursuing a thin strand, the more we lose the muscle of our whole being. You know what I mean? And that was the exemplar about the weight. Like the more it's like, yo, 
just focus on your diet. And you're like, yo, look back in her life. Look her back on his life. Yo, somebody right. died two years ago. That's what causes this. Right. And, 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 and it's that holistic view of the world that, mm. that, that we that's need really, to be able to take That's the word on. right there. That's the you word I mean? right there. The holistic view. Who do you feel leaves out intersectionality when it comes to conversations around social justice? Like, who do you feel is, is the most impactful? I feel like for me, our government has no idea of how to apply intersectionality to um, to legislation. It just, it seems government, like it's... For sure. But <laughs> like, in, like, like, do you feel like in academia there have been shifts <laughs> oh no there ain't been no shifts matter of fact here's my thing like i would like i think on the political spectrum there's certainly an absence of looking at intersectionality and looking at things holistically i think in schools and maybe it's because i'm an educator and we all like, and i never make the argument that i am um, you know objective like i am always deeply subjective like period right but for me in education in particular Right. The notion that a young person goes to school and it's like science and math and English and art and history are separated. And some young people are like, mm-hmm. yo, I'm a science person. Mm-hmm. And but I'm, that means I'm not an art person or I'm like I'm an English person. So I can't do math. I don't like math. I got grownups. I know who don't like paying the bill because they can't divide like how sway like. And so you can't it, it's schools create a structure that allows us to think that we're only certain types of people based on a kind of assessment of brilliance in a certain discipline that doesn't even capture the genius of the discipline. Like you take a math test to tell you whether or not you're good in math, but nobody had you talk about how you like numbers or, or how you calculate, I don't know, if you want to block calculate and wait, or how, or how you know how to be able to break out a discount and you go to a shopping store. Like those cats are math and science geniuses who ain't passed a math test who are then told that they can't do math or science. And so schools foster this way of existing in a world that is about identifying really quickly what they think you should be good at and what you're not. And then we spent our whole entire lives on the track they put us on. And then you wake up 20 years later, like, yo, I'm unfulfilled. That's because you had a scientist in your soul that never got fed because somebody in the third grade told you you didn't pass the science test. Um, And so it's about how do we go back and reclaim Auntie Maxine language, like reclaim our multiple identities. Right. But I feel and, like we're getting off topic because we're talking oh. more about multi-hyphenism. And I want and like when it comes to intersectionality, I think it's I, I feel like that's really more about the idea uh, or the reality that what you're describing as in us as people, like that is what exists in the way that we experience the world and and mm. and and the inequities of that. And yet it doesn't get regarded in that way. And I'm cur- and I'm just like, we talked about kind of like, like we talked it's about both. how that relates to us as like, like when we were saying that when you can only do one thing, that sometimes you may feel like less than, you know, for other things. But I feel like that methodology is what keeps is what people is what keeps people attempting to remove intersectionality from legislation, from Mm. consciousness, from responsibility, because it means that you have to be aware of other people that may not be your people. So so check it out. So it's like this. Or that you may feel like are not your people. (laughs) Yeah, so check it. It's like on one level, it's like, yo, I could do more than one thing, right? That's one level of it. But it's not separate from I am more than one thing. Like that's the piece, right? right? It's both. So, so right, I sit right, here right. right now, people can name me as a thing. Like, oh, he's, uh, you know, like, I, like, like I, in my relationship, I am husband. And in moments, I take on role that many might identify as wife. But mm-hmm. you tripping if you think that's what it is, because I'm doing all the things. So, 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 so when, you know, when, when, my, when my partner's like, yo, go do X, Y, Z. And my man's in them, who I've learned not to rock with as much, is like, yo, you do that? And I'm like, yeah, fam, I do all of it because I am all of it. And it's us existing in a world, recognizing that we're all of it at once. Yes. And we choose to express aspects of it based on what we sit most comfortably in. So I can do more than one thing. And I'm also more than one thing. And that's not even only about like existence, right? I'm also more than one thing. And like, I am matter, atoms, 
universe, <laughs> like, like right. male, female, and that's that's biologically as well. Like, like you know what I mean? Like chromosomally, yeah. genetically, and so it's like we you know, we we shrink ourselves to this yes. this slim piece of who we are, um, and what but we can the do process- and what we can be. But is the thought process of shrinking what we should do, is that thought process more about people trying to have a palatable, like bite-sized, small dose, if you will, um, to manage? Because I feel like in my in my heart of hearts, right? Like, so in my most optimistic mindset, it's like sometimes they're shaving off the intersectionality pieces because they want to just get to the nuts and bolts and get that like handed, like get that dealt with. Right. But then I feel like a lot of times when that's happening, those intersectionality pieces that they're shaving off to do that, they never get picked up again. You know, like they never get considered. I, as a black woman, I have to not just consider blackness. I have to consider black womanhood. Yeah. Right. And then my mother is an immigrant. So I have to consider black womanhood and, you know, immigration, like mm-hmm. in my activism, right. In my consciousness. And those things intersect, not just like within me as a person, but they intersect in the ways in which oppression is dealt with, you know, in this nation in different and dealt out in different yeah. ways. And I think some people, they don't want to have to address that. I feel like when I see people that are like, you know, um, I'm American descendant of slaves, I'm Eidos, like that's its own thing. And nothing else, anything other than that is not considered black. I'm like, that's just not a fair representation of the intersectionality of what it means to be black in America. It's not fair, but it's fair. And here's the thing that's like, you know, F-A-I-R and plain old words, you know, homonyms, whatever, but it's not fair, but you have to understand this all comes from a place of what you're scared of, right? People who reduce themselves to just one thin slice are afraid of what it looks like to look at themselves more holistically. That's what it's about. This is why you have like, you know, you have people in government who are closetly, closet gay folks who are the ones who are constructing the most anti-gay policies ever, right? It's, it's rooted in my inability to confront aspects of self allows me to reduce myself to what I want other folks to consume, right? Like, so a lot of like, yo, you know, why are they unconcerned with immigration? Because they hire immigrants and abuse them. That's why. Like, it, every, I always say this, yo, when, whenever you see somebody capping super hard against justice for someone else, dig deeper and you will find that they are directly affected but they're scared about what their audience will think because they've shrunk themselves to speak to only a particular audience. It's always about who you think you're speaking to. Like, I can't say that out loud. My man's going to reject me. Oh my mm. God, I can't say that out loud. My constituency will reject me. It's really based on this false notion of, 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 of um, shrinking a piece of me that I know is what I should be doing for the sake of status within a community that feeds me. Um, and we ain't even gonna go to capitalism, but you can't have a, a rich conversation about intersectionality without deconstruction of how capitalism, like I gotta get the bag, I gotta get some bread. It, my livelihood is depending upon me silent about X, Y, Z. And that's another mechanism that causes us to be able to sort of like peel off aspects of who we are that we know we should be embracing, um, but don't. And, and this is why that superficial piece I was talking about earlier is, is so important, right? Because I think once you're able to, in, the, in what you describe as the hyphenated, um, identities like multi multi hyphenated mul- multi hyphenated identities like I think once you're able to reconcile that like multi hyphenated phenomena and sit in comfortably within that, it allows you then to do the deep internal work to understand how you should be advocating or existing in the world with with a more intersectional viewpoint. Like there's there's a perception that is separate, but actually is deeply connected. Because once you embrace all of those hyphenated identities and you sit in and with them then you feel like, oh my gosh, I have to have a viewpoint of the world that respects all my multiple selves that I express out Yes, yes, yes. And, you know what I mean? So that, that, that's, that's just my bag on it. So when it comes to your book, Ratchetemic. Yes. Where does intersectionality, I mean, it exists in the title alone, but how did that concept um, become, 
you know, supported and flourished by really like just settling into the reality of how intersectionality informs it? So, you know, first things first, I'm an educator. Um, I'm a teacher. Like, that's my work. So my like the book is for everybody, but it's really for those who are working with young people. You know, if you're a counselor, you're an educator, you're a parent, whoever, like if your task is to work with young people, because I feel as though they're the ones who need that information the most, the earliest. Like, so I'm gonna use you as an example. Like, you know what I mean? Like, not just come on your podcast, I think you live, so I'm gonna say it. Like, so think about something like Smart, Funny, and Black. Yay. That's mad natural for you. I'm smart, I'm funny, I'm Black. Put them joints together, Smart, Funny, and Black. Boom. Like, that's so easy, it pours out of you. You've arrived to that at this point in your life. There is a kid right now in the ninth grade who's like, yo, I can't, I can't be loud because then the teacher says I'm not smart. Like if I'm ratchet, then I'm not academic. And that child, because of that experience in school, their parents, their counselor, their teacher, whatever, is like, okay, let me save those things off. And it never gets to the point where they're like, yo, I'm smart, funny, I'm black. I am all of it. Let's and so for me, it's like, how do we change the structure of schools to let teachers understand that the things that they thought represent blackness it represents being um being loud aggressive like those are actually the key things to help young those are the most academic right. things and so you know ratchetemic is sitting at the intersections of your ratchetness and your being academic it's also like a shout out to sisters who you know we are ratchet in the words of little boozy right everybody got a little ratchet in them but ratchet being ratchet has been a, like black women in particular have been assaulted by the phrase ratchet like if you, a dude is ratchet like oh he just loud if a sister's ratchet, that's like, oh my God, look Low like, you class, know. She don't deserve a good man. She don't deserve, well, she doesn't deserve a good relationship. Like she's just, uh, she's a, she's a skio. She's ran through. She's all those things. All those things. Like, and so for me, like ratchetemic as a collective identity is like word. We all that then. We all skios. We all ran through. We all the worst. We're all the whatever. And we're also academic as fuck right? We're brilliant. We're introspective. We understand science and math. We analyze things. Like, so it's a, it's like an embracing of all of who we are and a recognition that all the things that you said were the worst actually becomes, for educators, the things you can use to make young folks be the best academically. So it's like academic reimagining academic excellence. And we can name folks that have this, right? Um, Michael Eric Dyson, like my OG, right? Let me he tell get up you. There and he, when yeah, I was that's at my God. I was at SSMS two years ago, three years ago, and I was standing outside because I was supposed to go inside and, and host something, and Snoop walked up and was like, oh, what's up? And so I was saying, what up? And then Michael Eric Dyson walked up and on cue was like, one, two, three, and to the four. <laughs> And me and Snoop turned and said back to him, Snoop Doggy you know, Dog, you're on the at the door. And then next thing you know, all three of us is like ready to make an entrance. So back on up. Well, I know I'm about to rip shit up and give it to my grandma's voice. I got my What's happening? So that's my, Yo, Amanda, that's my imagine, Dyson. imagine, but imagine that, imagine that, right? Imagine that in a eighth grade classroom. Right. Where a kid right. comes in and is spitting bars and the teacher's like, yo, that's so lit. Why don't you like, you know, that's the same thing as subject verb agreement. And that verse was X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. Wow. You're such a great person. It, your, 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 your ability to be able to analyze the pros in that verse is going to serve you well and do an X, Y. And like all of a sudden the classroom is ratchetemic. Well, you know what? I got to be honest. When I when I tell people that I went to Columbia, oftentimes they're just like, oh, like that must have been like a really difficult experience. And I can see how it would be for many, because at the end of the day, it is a predominantly white institution. Like, that's just what it is. Right. But Ivy League, all the, all the things, all the things. <laughs> but I was in the Institute for Research in African-American Studies and I was in this like protected bubble, you know, and at the time, Professor Manny Marable was alive. Rest in peace. And, you rest know, it was being set up by uh, Dr. Pera Griffin. And like, I feel like my professors really understood how the intersectionality of our interests was going to inform us as, as scholars of blackness, right? Yeah. And so like my first day of class, I mean, literally Professor Marable came in and he like put his books on the table with his Frederick Douglass hairdo and was like, do you all want hip hop to die? And we were all like, oh my God, <laughs> we are in the right place. And- 
you know, I had a class with Dr. Gregory and I always tell this story about how like we had to read so much and I am not a like fast reader. And so I just could not turn over things in the way that it was going to be needed. And I was like, we supposed to write a paper every week for this class. Like it's like, Chris, mm-hmm. it just wasn't going to happen. Professor Emden, it wasn't going to happen. And I said to him, I was like, okay, listen, can I write a poem every week? Mm. Because I can synthesize a theme that's in the text in a way in a poem differently than I can in a paper in that amount of time. And it will be more effective for me. And he was mm. like, yeah, the only catch is that you have to perform it for the class every week. I'm like, man, you say nothing but a word. That's, <laughs> but, but that's it. But that's academic. That's exactly what I mean. Mm-hmm. If, if that is academic. That's the educator's ability to be nimble enough to bend to the needs of the student, to recognize that their skill set in poetry is just as effective as their skill set in writing a 50-word essay, that yeah. their ability to be able to perform in front of class is just as valuable as the ability to be able to write a term paper. And that's a academic educator creating a academic environment. And my whole thing is, why ain't the whole world? So here's the thing. You get that at Columbia, Right. Mm-hmm. And as a kid in, in a school in XYZ place who never gets that experience, and by the, because they don't get that experience, they drop out because they're like, nah, this school shit ain't for me. Like, I, I, I just can't well, do I'll it. give you like, another story. I was going to drop out of college. I was in the conservatory for uh, theater, arts, and film at SUNY Purchase. And then, like your 90s shenanigans, I had a, I had a shenanigans scenario take place where they, you know, basically were like, you know, you got to take a year off from the conservatory. And during that year, I was like, I'm not staying here. Like, I don't want to come back to your conservatory, and I don't want to get, you know, student loan debt. And the reason I ended up staying in school is because I had a professor who found out I could create my own major. And in being able to create my own major, I was able mm. to... Um, basically create a major that was consisting of my intersectionalities of interests. So I created a black studies major with a concentration in the visual and performing arts. So Mm -hmm. it was like, these are the things I care about the most in the world, blackness, my heritage, my culture and my ethnicity and the, uh, the artistic representation and the ways in which that is, uh, and, and the ways in which I can use creativity to exist. And so that was my major. And then when I went to Columbia, my master's was African American studies, the concentration in hip hop. But it was like, I tell you all the time, I am the proponent of a number of privileges, right? Mm. But I believe that the biggest privilege that I've had that has allowed for my success has been access to educators that like you just said, I guess you let's coin the term that were ratchetemic. And it wasn't just black educators. I just had right. access to educators who were able to see like, oh, I got to deal with you different and we're willing. And yeah. I know they didn't do that just for me. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I may have been student number, you know, 5,000 that came, came through their halls that they did that with, but it made such a difference. And then it yes. informed me to be able to do that not only in my own existence and my own identity building, but also in my application of justice and, and activism to the world and understanding mm-hmm. that like nothing is one, nothing is on one dimension. Let me ask you this. So did you ever have an, I'm sorry, it's not, I don't turn it to my podcast, my, my bad, but let me I ask you this. Have you, have you ever had experiences like, so prior to those experiences, right? Like at purchase where somebody just like got it, like what were your experiences in K through 12 like, and were they different from, or did you have those experiences throughout? I'm just out of curiosity. I got to tell you, I mean, I've had the odd teacher here and there. Like I had a third grade teacher who like said I couldn't be president because I was being overconfident. Right. Like um, I've had like another teacher who when I went to go do my brother and me, she was my math teacher. And like she was like, well, you can't do that and be a seventh grader. So like, you know, I'm going to dock percentages off your participation grade, even though you're going to go to set and be tutored and it's only the last two weeks of school, I'm going to make sure you get this C because I'm a hater. Like, so, you know, there's, there's definitely been, and for what it's worth, there's been teachers who I had to like indoctrinate to this, to the idea that like, you know, you need to come with something more. Um, and I will say that those teachers, you know, have been a little, they, they were for what it's worth receptive. I think, The other thing that I was in the gifted program and for the most part, like K through 
K through fifth grade, I had a teacher named Miss Hartsaw. And like, she shaped mm. how I, because our class would only meet, we would go there once a week on Thursdays and we would have her all day. But she taught all the subjects you're talking about that we hear about in school, whether it's science, math, English, she taught them in a comprehensive way. So if we're talking about Native Americans, we're not just talking about Native Americans from a social studies point of view. We're gonna talk about Native Americans from a social studies point of view, from an economic point of view. We're gonna use math to add up like, you know, okay, uh, if you got these five uh, teepees over here and these four um, teepees over here, like how many people are in these teepees? And then how does that end up, how does that end up like informing this tribe's way of, of operating in the fields and in their hunting? and gathering like we would and then the, and then you add in language you know what I mean so we would take a comprehensive view at how we would look at things and so that is how my critical thinking was developed that's the, the but that's it you're like that was so beautiful and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get the recording of this to share with teachers when I do PD because that's the difference right because I would argue that those educators the ones you brought along or Miss Hartz Miss Hartz Miss Hartz like Miss Hartz you remember her till today and not only do Absolutely. you remember her, but you remember how she shaped your existence. And you also remember how she brought those worlds together. So for me, like intersectionality, interdisciplinarity, mm -hmm. right? Um, 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 Multi-hyphenated identities. Like, I think all of those things, like deep subjectivity, like, like I, to me, it's like deep, deep subjectivity as like Sandra Harding has this concept that I always dig where it's like, yo, there's subjectivity and there's objectivity. And then there's deep subjectivity that is the ultimate objectivity, right? Like, like the only time you could be fully objective is if you're really sitting yes. in the midst of yes. who you are and you yes. know who you are. And then yes. you could be like, nah, it's this I swear, or that. I swear by that. I swear by that. But I feel like that's, that's, the why, that's the reason why a lot of people are afraid or, un, or unwilling to um, plant roots in the intersectionality that is necessary to be an effective uh, proponent for change. Like to be an effective advocate for change, you have to be so deep, deep, deep in you, like in knowing all the different chambers of you. And you also need to be able to be deep, deep, deep in knowing all the different chambers of the fuck shit that you are advocating for. Like I, we were talking about this before when it comes to like the conversation between like Palestine and Israel. A lot of us here in America, we are not deep, deep, deep enough in that subject, in the reality, in the truths, the lies, the experiences of it to feel confident about our ability to advocate on any side of it. Right. Yes. And so it becomes a, a, it can become a, it can feel like a crisis of conscience, but at the end of the day, it really just becomes a movement towards education and information. Right. And that doesn't necessarily happen overnight. And so like, right. I feel and, like and the space to say that, like what, what, here's the thing that, that, that you're really elucidating in all this conversation. Like the fact that you articulate like, yo, I am a novice and I can recognize I'm a novice and say I'm a novice because I know who I am. And I don't feel so, some folks will feel some kind of way to say mm -hmm. publicly I'm a novice on the topic. And that's the difference, right? When, when you're sitting deep in who you are, like, yo, fam, I don't really know a lot about that. I like to answer some questions. I ain't gonna say shit. Like I know what's right and I know what's wrong, but I can't say shit on that because I haven't sat in that in the space of who I am. And I think that's, that's the point of being academic, right? Because you're so deep in all the nuances and the crevices of your ratchetness right? Like I'm so deep in all the rawness of who I am and how I express myself that I have no qualms about saying, yo, I don't know nothing about that. I ain't gonna say nothing, but this right here, I do. Boom. And when you're, when you're basing your, your worth on, on how folks will read you as an intellect, as a scholar, as a yeah. whatever it is, then yeah. you, then you, 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 you're like, oh man, that's a, that's a new topic. I must have something to say. I should have something to say. And then you say some fuck shit. And then all of a sudden you're wondering why you're being looked at like you're an idiot. It's because it's not because you're an idiot, but you're an id you were an idiot for making a decision to open you your mouth ignorant. on something you ain't know nothing about. Right. You were ignorant. Right, right, right. right. You weren't right. willfully ignorant. You were actually ignorant. And that's yo, let me <laughs> that, that's everything. Yo, yo, the, the homie Rebecca has said this earlier. I had written it down, right? But and and, and, and credit to Amanda feels as well on this one, right? But we were talking about silence and stillness and lived experience. Remember that joint? I do remember that joint because I feel like sometimes people think 
sometimes people will subscribe silence as um, support, you know? And in some scenarios, I was saying that it's not silence, it's stillness. Like I know Mm -hmm. when it's something I don't know about, I'm not being silent, I'm being still. One, because I think that in my stillness, I don't disrupt the space from those who actually know what the fuck they're talking about. Talk. Right? And then two, in my stillness, I am able to then become a listener mm-hmm. and learn, you know, because in, in silence, oftentimes silence is an action. Oftentimes that is just loud. <laughs> it's like a loud action of quiet. Stillness is me saying, um, no, I, I, I need to just plant some, some roots here and grow a tree of knowledge here. And I, and, and, and part of that is if I don't have that experience, then getting more information from people with learned experiences. And that's what Rebecca was saying. She was like, you know, the truth of the matter is a lot of us don't speak on things that we don't have a learned experience of. And that is actually a good fucking idea. I don't speak about what it's like to be in prison. I've never been to prison. Now, have I been closely related to people who have had these experiences? Have I, in my relationships with them, felt repercussions based on their experiences? Like, because that's where intersectionality starts to have, uh, that's where we start seeing intersectionality, right? Like, we can that's talk- That's where about- it comes back. And I want to, I want to folks who listen to understand that this, this is not a, this conversation is, is she, we went the long way to get back to the court. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's why the intersectionality is valuable again. Just, just for the folks who's listening to know that we, you know, it's just a school. Go ahead, go ahead. Because you can't talk about something while just talking about one thing. You just can't. And I just think we are at a point now where we have to like make a real concerted effort to understand that for the most part, I feel like, particularly when it comes to oppression in this country, the the like concerted effort that is made to keeping things in a very, very slim space is because people do not want the responsibility of having to do even more change or, you know, create more obligate, have more obligation than they have than they have to. And because they just don't care about those other parts, right? Right. Like feminism was not intersectional for a very long time because they did not yeah. care. They didn't care right. about if black women could vote. They didn't care about what Asian women and Latinx women, they don't care about none of that shit. They were like, we just only care about white people, white women, and what white women get to do. Yeah. That's it. And you see it. Like I saw Fran Lebowitz do this interview on Z-Way. So shout out to Z-Way. She's a young sister that just got a show on Showtime. And she interviewed Fran Lebowitz. And I love Fran Lebowitz, but she just sounded like a fucking ridiculous person. She was like, you know, I just, I'm not as interested in race as you are. And it's like the boldness and the comfort with which she said that was so white woman. It was like, I wanted to vomit on her Oxfords because (laughs) it's not that that's not true. That may be her truth, but. But she's living in it. His, his, no, but, like, if you're but, living- but I'm, wait, I'm going to stop you because she's also living in a nation that does give a fuck about race. So right. when you say she's living in it, it's like she's living in her truth, but her truth is actually her living in willful ignorance. So, so it's like, look, the silence, the silence. That's silence. When, when, silence in a, like silence, it, silence when you're embedded in and mm-hmm. witnessing violence is complicity. Mm-hmm. Like stillness in the midst of not knowing is wisdom, and those distinctions Ooh. matter. Write that I, down. Was, was, it, was that a bar? Let me let me, let me tweet that real quick. No, but these but these are facts. You know what I mean? And I think I think that I think that we and here's the thing: we have to be able to hold ourselves accountable for when we are not wearing all of ourselves and our lenses. And how we experience our world, like you know, what I mean, like, and, and so that's why, like, intersectionality. It's not just, it's not just like intersectionality or being academic. It's not just this ideal, right? It's not like, oh, look at that thing. Like, being academic is a, it's, it's a, it's a recognition that it's an ideal that you already have within. It's about revealing this, because all the complexities are already here. Do the self work. Do the reflective work. Do the in depth work. You're like, yo, that's here. Let me sit in that. It's, it's, it, it's an ideal to reach that already exists within. So it's about, yes, yes. it's a weird yes, joint, like, you know what I mean? And so it's like, how do you then sit 
in and with yourself back to our initial conversation like eons ago about about health and mental health and wellness like you don't get the wellness you don't get the health you don't get to any of those things unless you do the knowledge of self-work who am i like how do i like who am i in the world i am in and we we, we like to skip over the self-work and get to the um you know to the woke talk you know what i mean that's a whole other conversation Well, speaking of that self-work, this is the moment in the show called The Script, mm. you know, where we like to give people some um, supplementary materials uh, that can support uh, the information that we're talking about. And I just wonder if there's any books or programs, um, you know, documentaries, movies, et cetera, anything that you feel like, you know, would help folks in, in, greater, in their greater understanding of what we're talking about. I know you better name your book as one of them. Yeah. So number one on a joint, you know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, in the spirit of hip hop, is definitely Ratchetdemic. Ratchetdemic, reimagining academic excellence, is going to be out August 10th, but it's currently available for pre order wherever books are sold. Buy pre order books, please. It helps. Please. Yes. It helps. Like, like significantly. More, more than actually when the joint drops. It's like, pre order Ratchetdemic now, please, because it helps to get the book where it's supposed to be in the world. And it really covers a lot of the topics we talked about today. Um, with a particular emphasis on like how we how we how we get young folks to get there, you know what I mean? Like so that's cop academic. Um, a book I've read recently that I love um, is um, "Eloquent Rage" by Brittany Cooper. Like hmm. the the idea of eloquent rage in itself is almost like academic. You know what I mean? Like it is yeah. like it's like you know and 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 her her presence, but also her work is just always really striking and provocative. And so "Eloquent Rage" was fire. Um, I dug that. Um, I always tell folks like go back and listen to Fela Anikulako Ransom Mother Effin Kuti. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you know what I mean? And and shout to the Broadway play and all that, but like just listen to the evolution of his music. Like he's he was equal parts like West African traditional Nigerian music, jazz, pop, yeah. like he just he just he just he sat at the intersections of all these traditions and created something beautiful and new. And that thing he created, folks are now sampling for their new. And it's like, right. if you want to see, you know, intersectionality in sonic form, listen to Fela's catalog again and again and again. Um, and then, like, yo, I heard about this, this, um, this friggin' series, Smart, Funny, and Black. That shit lit. <laughs> Um, and so <laughs> it, it also, it also is very academic. It also sits at these intersections in a powerful way. And it is the events that pop up where folks well, get interviewed. Well, funny you say that because I should yeah. let people know we have our first ever free Smart, Funny, and Black in the Crib show going down on May 22nd. I want people everywhere to be able to experience Smart, Funny, and Black. And so I've been working really hard to try and get the opportunity to do a free show. Uh, so it will be streamed to YouTube and you all will Yo. be able to simply just log on and watch and we will be joined by Bob the Drag Queen and Monet Exchange who are literal living existence of intersectionality. They are brothers who do drag, who are also self-identifying as gay. So it's a Got, we got all and who are also social justice warriors and advocates for trans lives, for black lives, for all everything that needs to matter. So that's going to be like really, really exciting May 22nd. And like you and to your point, though, Smart Funny and Black 100 percent sits at a at the um sits at the crossroads of intersectionality and in how we discuss blackness. And, you know, the fact that like when we when I write a show, I'm always writing smart, funny and black shows with the concept of like, OK, I want to make sure that we are looking at these things through historical lenses, through experiential lenses, through cultural lenses, through gender lenses, like so that we're seeing a full picture and not just like one side of a multidimensional experience. The last dose. You know, Chris, your energy is like, I know people are sitting in the car like that nigga is talking because like, you're <laughs> right. You, you, it's clear you were always an educator. I don't know if y'all have ever seen, like they talk about John Lewis and how like he was like preaching to chickens when he was six. Like it was like, this was in him. Like it was going to be the path. And it's just so clear when you talk and the, and the way in which you were explaining that 
it's not just something you're able to do. It's something that you are called to do. And Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. And I appreciate hearing an educator who has that because it's really, it's like, I believe education is the cornerstone for all elevation. Indeed. Like it informs not only information, but it informs compassion. You know, like it informs so much. It informs our ability to to see each other in ways that um, we can't deny. And so I really appreciate and thank you for your service. I really wish we would just like be able to, we should be telling teachers and nurses, thank you for your service. (laughs) Facts, facts. Especially after this pandemic. (laughs) Listen, listen, I I, I just, I, yo, I just want to close out by saying thank you for having me, man. Like, um, you know, fan of yours, fan of your work, fan of this platform. And it, it means a lot to me that you, that you, that you allowed me to sort of share space with you today. Um, for everybody who's listening, please pick up Ratchademic. Pre-orders matter. Um, and, and then my last thing, you know, I got to leave it a little bar. Like education is never memorization. It's an activation of the imagination. It's a path towards uh, liberation. You know what I mean? And, and just always education remember that's what- never memorization. It's, it's the activation of the imagination and the path towards liberation. You know what I mean? Caught that Ratchademic. Dear sister, thanks for having me. You know what I mean? And, and we'll, I'll catch y'all all on the flip side. Thank you, Chris. Well, the energy was on 9 million. Shout to Chris Emden. You know, I feel like when I see people like him, I wonder like if they were my teacher, if they were my professor, like what what would have been different about me and my development as a student, as a person? And I love that because that's really like what we want for our kids. You know, we what we what we want is for them to be in the presence of people who shape them in positive and unique ways to get through this thing called life. Shout to Chris Emden for sharing his wisdom and his energy and his dopeness with us. You know, he literally intersectionalized intersectionality, you know, because I was looking at it in one place, in one way, and he really like managed to kind of bring it over into a couple of different other hemispheres that I hadn't considered it in. And that that's always the dope part of having these conversations is being able to synthesize new ways of looking at things that give you more tools to handle things, to, to find solutions, to ground yourself, etc. So shout to Chris Emden, make sure to pick up his book, Ratchedemic in stores well available for pre-order now and for all of us at home you know i hope that we i hope that you guys are inspired to take a look at how intersectionality plays out in your work and in your life and in your advocacy because i think sometimes we have blind spots in that way and we have ways in which our values or our beliefs get in the way of really being able to be true change agents across full scopes and parameters of spaces because that intersectionality is there whether you like it or not. A podcast network.